Shall we pray? Shall we pray as we come to read uh, again from the book of Colossians, God's word? Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we love to gather in your presence, to sing your praises, to declare your goodness. We also love to read your holy word and to allow you to speak into our lives. And that's what we pray would happen now, Lord God, that you would speak to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit, moving powerfully in this place. Lord, I pray that your light would shine and you would get all the glory and all the praise. I pray particularly you would renew our love of the grace that we have received from you. And may we rejoice in grace and live in grace day by day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we read Colossians 2 verse 8, as well as some other verses as well. But we read Colossians 2 verse 8, and this is what Colossians 2 verse 8 says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And what Paul was saying in Colossians 2 verse 8 is, there are human ideas that are being shared. In fact, there is spiritual influence on those ideas. There's human philosophies which are deceitful, which are false in this world. And we need to be vigilant as Christians to hold to what Christ teaches and not to be taken captive by these deceitful human philosophies that might exist in the world. Now last week I preached generally about those things and just said we need, we need to be ready, we need to keep going to Christ, we need to walk in Christ because there are these false deceitful philosophies and ideas that might seek to bring us down. But this week, what we're going to do is we read the next section in this letter to the Colossian church is we're going to talk about specifics. What is it that's being spoken? What philosophies are being taught in the city of Colossae that are deceitful and wrong and harmful to Christians? And how can we learn from those things that were being shared? So um, if you've got a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 16 to 23. So Colossians 2, verses 16 to 23. And it is already on the screen behind me. Thank you very much, Gareth. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God." If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. Referencing to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. 
So the lie, the deceitful philosophies that are being spoken in Colossae is this. This is what they are saying which is wrong. Do you want to be really godly? Do you want God to really love you? Well, you need to follow a long list of man-made rules. You need to avoid eating specific things. You need to observe the special days and the festivals. You need to punish your body in a severe way. You even need to worship angels in order to God for God to really love you. If you do those things, if you follow those rules, then you'll be truly acceptable to God. That's the lie that's being spoken in Colossae that that Paul is responding to in this letter. And you know what we call that? We call that legalism. This is legalism. Follow the rules and then you'll be a good person. Follow the rules and then God will love you. Follow these rules and then you'll be truly right and good. And you can be a legalist even if you go to church. You can say things like, we must follow these man-made traditions. You can be a legalist outside the church as well. If you want to be a good person, you must do these things. Have you ever heard someone outside the church saying, this is what it is to be good. It's it's doing these things. It's following these rules. There might be different rules to what we find in the Bible, but the world outside are legalists as well. Now, there are three fundamental errors of legalism. There are three fundamental errors of legalism. And the first is this. It's all about law-keeping rather than grace. This is the first fundamental error of legalism. It's about law-keeping rather than grace. We believe as Christians that we are saved by grace. We are saved not because we deserve to be saved, but because God is a God of mercy and he's a God of grace who loves to give unmerited blessing, unmerited, undeserved favour in our lives. We are son. If you're a Christian this morning, you are a son and daughter of God, not because of your good works, not because of your deeds, but because of Christ's deeds, because of his death and resurrection. On the cross, he carried your sin in order that you might be forgiven. And as he rose again from the grave in the resurrection, he paved a way that you might follow him. His, His deeds have earned your salvation. And so our good deeds, our good works, are not what earns our salvation because Christianity is all about grace, a gift from God that we do not deserve. We receive this gift from Christ by faith in him. We place our faith in Christ and we receive forgiveness and everlasting life. We enter into an eternal relationship with God. We can say as Christians, we have God. He is in us and with us. He is our Father in heaven. We have him because of grace, not because of the things we have done. In this church, we're not the good people who God loves the most because we're the best. That's not who we are, I'm afraid. We're not, we're not the people whom God loves because we're great, we're fantastic. No, we're the undeserving ones who have received mercy and forgiveness from Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Legalists say, you must keep the rules to be loved. But the Bible says that God loved us because he's a God of grace and a God of love. 
and we move into obedience in joy from that place of knowing we are fully loved. We don't obey the rule, we don't obey God in order that he would love us. We, we move into obedience in joy because we know that God has shown us that he loves us. Jesus Christ showed us, didn't he, for all the world to see how much he loved us, that he reminded us that he loves us so much that he died for us on the cross. That's how much he loves us. So we know God loves us and we know that it does not depend on law keeping. It's all about grace. That's the first fundamental error of legalism, that it makes the Christian life about law keeping rather than about grace. And that's a huge biblical error. The second fundamental error of legalism is that legalism is all about externals rather than the heart. Did you see that in the, in, the, in the rules that Paul was quoting in the Colossian passage? Do not touch, do not eat, observe the festivals. These are all outward things. They're all about the external. They're all about the things that you can see. And in verse 23, Paul says these things have an appearance of wisdom. That's what these rules are about. They're about appearing to be good because they're about what's on the outside and what other people can see. But God cares about our hearts. One thing I've noticed about worldly morality is it's only concerned about the externals. I don't know whether you have, ever have conversations with people who aren't Christians and they're very, they, they have a sense of what's right and good but they're only interested in what's external. I have um, friends who though they are in long-term relationships, some of them are even married, they have no problem about looking and lusting and commenting on the appearance of other women and they say I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not going to tell my wife about this comment that I'm making. I'm not going to speak to my partner, even though they're in long-term relationships. Do you see what they're saying? They're saying, as long as I appear to the person I'm in a relationship with to be good and loving and caring, actually what I do when they're not watching is okay. It's all about the externals. They're not thinking about what's going on in their heart and what's going on in their mind in those moments and the harm that it is doing to them internally. They don't care about where their heart is. It's not about where their heart is at. It's about that they appear to be a loving husband or a loving partner. It's about external morality, not internal morality. In the church, legalists can think, as long as I appear to be a good Christian, as long as I'm there every Sunday, as long as I'm at the prayer meeting, as long as I come dressed in an appropriate way, or as long as, long as all these things on the external, if people look at me and think I'm doing the right thing, then that's okay. That's what Christians sometimes, or that's what legalists in the church can sometimes think, because legalism is a focus on what's external and what other people see, but God cares about the heart. You know, one of the great things about the gospel, one of the great things about the good news of Christianity is it's not just that Christ died and we receive forgiveness. It's not just that Christ rose and, and therefore we have eternal life to look forward to, but it's also that the Holy Spirit is given as a gift to every Christian believer. And what, the Holy, what he does, what the Holy Spirit does is he comes and dwells within you and, and 
gives you new life in your heart. We talk about the doctrine of regeneration. We talk about new birth. We're born again Christians. The Holy Spirit has changed us on the inside. It's not, it's not about the external. It's about how the Holy Spirit has transformed us inwardly to give us faith in Christ and to transform our hearts so we love like God loves. That's part of the good news which we believe. The gift of the Holy Spirit which we've been given because God cares about our hearts. So that's the second fundamental, of le- fundamental error of legalism. It's all about what's external, and it doesn't matter what's internal in, and in the heart. And the third fundamental error of legalism is that legalism makes man-made rules divine. Legalism adds to the word of God new things, new rules that we need to follow. In verse 21, Paul speaks about these rules that are being taught and proclaimed in Colossae. And he says these rules are according to human precepts and teaching. And yet, in Colossae, in verse 18, it says they're being presented in the form of visions. So people are coming and saying, I've had a vision from God. They're they're promoting their man-made rules as though they were divine. In the world, outside of the church, legalists don't necessarily say this rule is from God, but they do say this is what is good. They say we are the moral arbiters of what's right and what's wrong, and we set the rules. We create new man-made rules to define who is good and who is not good in the world. You can think of examples that you might have read or seen or heard where someone says, if you don't support this, or you don't believe this, or you don't do this, then you are a bad person. And when people do that, what they're doing, of course, is they're playing God. I'm the one who decides what's right and what's wrong. The church history is full of the church doing exactly the same thing. Inventing man-made commandments and rules, and presenting them as if they were from God. So as an example... In the Catholic Church, they created a man-made rule where if you were to be a priest, you can't get married. You have to be a single man to be a priest in the Catholic Church. Not in here. The exact opposite in here, actually. In one sense, it talks about being a good good husband as one of the ways of testing someone for leadership within the church. So they're inventing man-made rules. And you know the charismatic church that we are a part of? Invents rules sometimes as well, man-made rules. You must speak in tongues, otherwise you have not received the Holy Spirit. That's an invented man-made rule that Christian leaders have proclaimed, as though it was divine, as though it was biblical. It's not in the Bible. Paul asked the question in Corinthians, do all speak in tongues? And the answer to that question is obviously no. So this is one of the fundamental errors of legalism, that we make up rules from man and we present them as though they are divine. But this is the gospel. Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He rose on the third day, promising eternal life to all his followers. He reconciled us to God the Father. We were estranged from God the Father, but now we are friends of God. We are sons and daughters of God the Father. And this was a gift of grace, 
received by faith. And all who receive this gift are transformed inwardly by the Holy Spirit. They have a love for God and a joy to obey. This is the gospel, the gospel of grace, which we believe. It's not legalism, it's grace. And therefore, we stand against legalism. We preach against legalism. Any implication that our standing before God depends on following a law or a command is a denial of the gospel of grace. Any implication that our righteousness depends on the deeds that we do is a denial of the gospel of grace. A focus on external law-keeping over the internal spiritual transformation of God is a denial of biblical truth. And we do not play God in this church, inventing commands as though God's word is insufficient. We do our very best to proclaim this, to follow this. And, and when we get up in the pulpit and preach and when we speak to one another, if anyone's saying, you've got to do this, and they're not showing you where in God's word it says that, then, then be cautious, be careful. And if we consistently stand up and say, you must do this, and aren't showing you biblically why we think that, then you should run and leave and go and join another church somewhere else. We stand against legalism because grace is absolutely central to the Christian good news. So I've spoken generally about grace and legalism from this passage, but I want to comment on the specifics, um, particularly the specifics raised in verse 16, the specific rules that were being invented in Colossae at the time. And the first area where rules were being created were around food and drink. Paul writes in verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. And one of the rules he talks about in verse 21 is do not taste. So I want you to know this. God's love for you does not change based on what you eat and drink. God's love for you does not change based on what you eat and drink. Andy, are you okay? Do you need someone to help you? <laughs> I will keep, I'll keep going. I'll keep going. Yeah? Okay. Andy's giving me the thumbs up, I think. So, yeah, okay, okay. Um, thank you, Shirley. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, is what Paul says. God's love for you does not change based on what you eat and drink. And Christ says a very similar thing in Matthew chapter 15. It is not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person. The Jewish food laws, which forbid eating pork and shellfish, amongst other things, no longer function in the kingdom of Christ. Churches that command fasting, demand that you fast. Um, Again, I don't want to keep going there, but the Catholic Church do this. They say you must fast on certain days of the year. Churches that command fasting operate out of an unbiblical legalism. It doesn't mean fasting in and of itself is wrong. There are moments for people in grace to say, actually, I'm going to fast and pray and seek God. But if churches command fasting, they are, they are demanding legalism in the church. You must fast. That comes from legalism. That doesn't come from this passage in Colossians. 
Churches that forbid drinking alcohol, often from other continents and other cultures, aren't doing so for biblical reasons. Jesus himself drank wine. So to forbid drinking alcohol as a rule or a law of the church is definitely from legalism. Verse 19 says, Spiritual growth does not come from forbidding food and drink, but comes from holding fast to the head of the church. In other words, spiritual growth as Christians doesn't come from writing down a law, I'm never going to touch any form of alcohol and I'm going to fast every Friday. That's not where spiritual growth comes from. Spiritual growth comes from clinging to Christ, being connected to him in the power of the Holy Spirit. This does not mean that the Bible is silent on what you choose to eat and drink. Proverbs 23, verses 19 to 21, Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, says this, Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards, or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. So there is wisdom in the Bible about not getting drunk. There is wisdom about not overeating all the time, becoming gluttonous and greedy. In Ephesians 5, it says, do not get drunk with wine. And in Titus 1 verse 12, Paul talks about lazy gluttons in the same category as evil beasts and liars. If Jesus is our example... He spent time feasting and he spent time fasting. And as Christians, we're to follow Christ's example. And 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So we find two things to be true concerning food and drink in the Bible. On the one hand, nothing we eat or drink can ruin our relationship or standing with God. So we do not judge one another and we do not command fasting or forbid certain foods. But there is a way of eating and drinking that glorifies God. That's what we're going to do after the service this morning. We're going to eat and drink in a way that glorifies God, enjoying fellowship with one another. So I just want to say, we're not legalists. We're not setting rules and saying, if you do this, God will love you more. If you don't do this, God will love you less. We're not. But we're also saying we want to be wise and we want to grow. And sometimes that means adjusting what we eat and drink in wisdom. The second specific in verse 16 is about festivals, special days and Sabbaths. Let no one pass judgment on you in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. In the Old Testament, Jews were commanded to observe a whole series of different festivals throughout the year. The Passover festival, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. Paul says here that observing these festivals does not affect your standing with God. Christians do not need to observe these special days of the year. They're not commanded in the New Testament that we observe them. And the Sabbath is also included here by Paul. 
In the Old Testament, God commanded the Jews and said, you must rest on Saturdays. You must not do any work on Saturdays, the Sabbath. And there are strict rules in the Old Testament about what you can and can't do. And then throughout Jewish history, rabbis loved to add new rules to what was already written in the Bible about what you could and couldn't do, what really constituted resting and what really constituted work on the Sabbath. So in the Old Testament, there was a command Keep the Sabbath. Rest, do no work on Saturdays. But in the New Testament, in the church, there's no repeat of the Old Testament Sabbath commandment. Historically, the church decided to move the sort of special day of the week to a Sunday. That's not actually written down in the Bible, but they did that because Sunday was the day that Christ rose from the grave. And so Christian believers said, let's make Sunday the day of the week where we all gather together and celebrate the resurrection together. But some churches still command Sabbath keeping. They command a day of rest on Sundays. But that actually isn't from the New Testament. Paul says, let no one judge you on Sabbaths. There's freedom to rest. There's freedom to rest. But there's freedom from legalistically obeying the rule. Let me give you one example, is I work on Sundays. This is, I'm paid to be here. It's the only reason I'm here is because I'm paid. I'm joking. I love being here. I was doing this long before I was paid. But I'm working. I'm working on the Sabbath. I'm, I'm not resting. And I'm married to a nurse who, by God's grace, now has a job where she doesn't have to work Sundays because God loves her and because God wanted her to be here every Sunday. But most, most of her colleagues work on a Sunday because people still get ill and sick and need healthcare workers on a Sunday. So there, there are obviously jobs that require working on a Sunday. So there's freedom. There's freedom. Now the word Sabbath means rest. And it is important and worshipful to rest. Do you know when you're resting, you're worshipping God? You're saying, God's got this. I don't need to work 24-7 all the time because I believe in a God of all power and all might and actually I can have a rest now and again and trust him. Church workers often need to hear that because they think the church depends on them. And I've learned certainly over the last few months that this church in no way depends upon me. You guys have thrived while I've been away, which is fantastic. So we need to know that we can rest. Sleep is worshipping God. Because you go, I can go to sleep and God's got my back while I'm unconscious for this time. Jesus was a good sleeper. He slept in a boat while a storm raged. He was good at sleeping. Sleep and rest can be worshipful. And I think it's helpful to have a weekly rhythm of rest. I do think it's helpful to have a weekly rhythm of rest. And I try and set aside one day a week where I, I rest and don't work. And I rest in the, in the presence of God. But there's, there's freedom. So it's good wisdom to rest. And we do need to rest. But there's not a command saying you must not do any work on a Sunday because that's the legalism that Paul is writing against in Colossians chapter 2. And do you know this? The New Testament gives us a completely different way of thinking about and speaking of Sabbath rest. In Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 is the chapter you want to go to if you want to understand what Sabbaths mean for Christians. In verse 3 of Hebrews 4, the writer of the Hebrews says, 
we who believe enter God's rest. So in Hebrews chapter 4, the rest that God gives is part of the gospel. We believe in Christ, we receive forgiveness, and we enter into salvation. We enter into God's rest, which says, I don't need to do any work to be loved by God. He's already shown his love for me in the death of Christ. I am loved today and tomorrow and forever and ever. And so Christians who have believed in Christ enter into God's rest. It's not a day of the week in verse 3. It's salvation, the rest that we have in salvation by grace, not by works. And then in verse 9, this is what the writer of Hebrews says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So in Hebrews chapter 4, what does Sabbath rest mean? It means salvation. It means the gospel. It means the state that every Christian finds themselves in permanently, that they are resting in what Christ has done, not working for their own salvation. This is true Sabbath rest, to say Christ has worked so that I can receive grace and rest in this glorious relationship with God that I have forever. In other words, the Sabbath commandment given in the Old Testament to rest on a Saturday was a picture, a symbol of what Christ would do. That if you were truly to understand the Sabbath in the Old Testament, you would look forward and say, this shows us that God is going to lead us into a true eternal rest. The Sabbath day was a pointer and a picture of what would come in the New Testament. And isn't this precisely what Paul is saying in Colossians 2, verse 17? This is what he says in verse 17. These things, these rules, are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The Old Testament command to observe a Sabbath day was a shadow of the eternal rest that Christians receive when they believe in Christ. Christ is the substance of what the Old Testament commanded. Now, one of the questions I'm asked quite a lot is, why is there law in the Old Testament? If God is a God of grace and his intention was always always to bless us through grace, why bother with the law? Why bother with the Old Testament? Why bother with those instructions? And this is the answer... The law is the shadow that points to the substance, which is Christ. And there's a really simple way in which the law points to Christ. Because you read the law and you go, oh, I I didn't keep that one. I didn't manage to do that one. Oh, there's another red mark against me. Oh, there's another thing that I've got wrong and not done. And suddenly you've got this long list of laws that you've broken as you read the law in the Old Testament. You go, I'm in big trouble I need a saviour, I need Christ. This is the simplest way in which the law points us to Christ. We read it, we go, I've fallen a long way short of where I need to be. Oh, I need Jesus to rescue me. And so the law is the shadow that points to the substance which which is Christ. 
Um, but there's also all these other ways in which the law pointed to Jesus. So the Sabbath, six days of work, one day of rest, was a shadow and a picture of the gospel. Salvation not by work, but by grace and entering into rest. The Passover, the command to observe the Passover, where the lamb's blood, which the story of the Passover, of course, is that the lamb's blood was shed and painted on the doorposts in order that the people in Egypt, the Jews, could exodus, could leave and find freedom. And so the Passover festival was commanded by God as a shadow of the lamb who would be slain in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain on the cross. His blood was shed in order that we might be free from our sin and free from the fear of death. The Passover was a shadow and Christ is the substance. Even the food laws in the Old Testament, given in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the food laws become a picture of the gospel that's not just for the Jews, but for all nations and all peoples. Peter has a vision which includes some of the food laws, and this is the moment where Peter is instructed to go and eat with the Gentiles and share the good news of Jesus Christ with the Gentiles. So even the food laws in the Old Testament are a shadow pointing us to the substance, which is that whoever believes in Christ shall be saved. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're Nigerian or Indian or British or wherever you're from, all nations can enter into the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying in Colossians 2, we aren't held captive by these laws anymore because they were a shadow and the substance has come. Christ is here and we have him by the power of his Holy Spirit. Therefore, growth does not come through legalism. Growth does not come by following man-made laws like do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. Growth comes by being nourished by Christ, the head of the body, whom we are spiritually united to through the Holy Spirit who resides in us. This is where, if you want to grow as a Christian, enjoy that spiritual connection you have with Christ. Go to Christ over and over. Remind yourself of grace. Remind yourself of the gospel because it's your spiritual connection to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit which is trans- he is transforming you day by day into the image of Christ. You're becoming more Christ-like by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is where spiritual growth comes from. So in light of this teaching about legalism, in light of this teaching about food and drink, and Sabbaths and festivals. In light of this teaching that the Old Testament law is a shadow pointing to Christ and pointing to the gospel of grace, I want to give us three responses to this message as a church. The first thing is this. Let us be a church of grace. Let's not judge one another, but let's forgive one another. Let's not invent new rules about what it is to be a Christian and what is required of us as Christians, but let us follow Christ and let us daily point one another to Jesus and the grace we have received. Do you know, when you think of encouragement, what you often think encouragement really is, is saying, 
oh, you did a great job with that. You did really well. And that is encouraging. It's great when we encourage each other in the things that we do, in the gifts that we bring to church. But do you know what true encouragement is? Where true courage comes from, where true boldness comes from, the most encouraging thing that we should encourage one another with, it's to say, Christ died for you on the cross. You're forgiven and free. He rose from the grave so you have eternal life. And you didn't earn any of it. It was Christ who loved you and showed his love for you. Isn't that more? That's the root of encouragement, what Christ has done. And so if you want to be an encouraging person, yes, say to someone, oh, I'm so blessed by what you've done for the church. I'm so blessed by the people who've prepared the food today. They're such an encouragement. They've used their skills to, to bless us. That Yes, do that. But also point one another to Christ. That's what churches of grace do. They keep pointing each other to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. That's our first response to this passage. The second response I want to give you is a prayer for you if you are a Christian. And this is the prayer that I want to give to you and I, I would recommend that you pray it or words to this effect. Lord Jesus, keep me from legalism and keep me living by grace. But Lord, I want to grow, and as the head of this body, which I am a part of through the Holy Spirit, I pray you would nourish me. I wonder whether you ever prayed and asked Christ to nourish you, that you would grow into the strong muscle, or the healthy bone, or the ligament, or the tendon, or whatever part of the body you consider yourself to be. Have you ever prayed that you would receive the nourishment from Christ? I think that's just a great prayer that keeps us in grace, keeps us connected to Christ in that sense, knowing that spiritual growth comes from him. So that's my second response, a prayer for you to pray. Christ, nourish me. Keep me in grace. Keep me away from legalism and nourish me, Lord Jesus. And, and finally, I want to call um, a response from a specific group of people. It's likely that in this room there are people who feel disqualified because of their failure to keep rules or feel judged by the church perhaps this church, hopefully not this church, but perhaps churches in general that you've been to, where rules have been overzealously enforced in a way that wasn't gracious. There are people who might feel that they've been take, taken captive by the lies of legalism. And I want you to include yourself in this category if when you think of the next week ahead and you think, what would it mean for me to be a better Christian in the week ahead? If the first thing you think of when I ask that is, I need to be a nicer person. I need to be a kinder person. I need to be a bolder person. If the first thing you think of in terms of being a better Christian in the week ahead is things that you need to do, then I want you to include yourself in this category of actually saying, there's part of me at least which is struggling with legalism. Because actually, how do we be a better Christian in the week ahead? We enjoy our relationship with God our Father and our Saviour Jesus Christ being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's, the, that's the first thing we should think of when we think of being a great Christian in the week ahead. Enjoying what God has already done for us and the fact that he is with us. So if, if you thought of rules or things that you need to do, I want you to include yourself in this category of someone who maybe God needs to do some heart work in terms of legalism in your heart. And so if you want to respond to this, I'm going to encourage um, Temi and Jeff, can you guys go in that back corner over there? And all I want people to do, 
I'm going to pray in a second, but after I've prayed, just go and Jeff and or Temi will pray with you. And they're not going to ask you to say anything. They're just going to pray over you. Freedom. They're going to pray over you grace, and they're going to pray over you Christ. So if you're thinking, there's something in me that's still a bit of a legalist, or I feel judged, I feel disqualified because I haven't kept the rules, then just go and get a short prayer from from Temi or Jeff at the back. If you want to have a discussion, or you actually want to come and say, this is where I'm at, I really need to talk about this, then I'll remain at the front and you can come and chat to me and I'll deal with your difficult questions. But if you just want to be prayed for, just walk to the back and and receive a short prayer from those guys at the back. But let's stand as we draw to a close. Let's stand up. I'm going to pray for us all and then I will um, close the meeting and you can just go and receive a short prayer or you can go straight and get tea or coffee or you come and chat to me. So let's stand and let's pray in light of what we've learned from Colossians chapter 2. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are loved by you, not because of anything that we have done, but because of who you are. You are a God of love and a God of grace and a God of mercy. And we praise you and thank you for that. And I pray you would really knit that into our hearts, that we would know that our righteousness before you, our standing before you, cannot change because of anything we eat or drink cannot change because we observe a special day. We observe a Sabbath or we don't. Lord, we thank you that there is freedom in the kingdom of Christ. But Lord, we, we want to grow. We want to grow. We want to grow up in Christ. And so we ask that you would keep us away from legalism and setting rules and making up new things. But Lord, keep us nourished and connected to Christ, our Lord and Saviour in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray we would know his work in our hearts and our minds right now and in our lives and over lunchtime. May we know the spirit knitting us into Jesus Christ and from that wonderful connection and the spiritual life we have received, we would grow in maturity as Christians and become more Christ-like day by day. Lord, I want to pray for freedom from any hurt that's been caused by wrong teaching in the church. I pray for freedom and a healing in Jesus Christ's name. And Lord, I pray for our lunch together, Lord God. I pray we would eat and drink to the glory of Christ, our Saviour. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.